August 2005, AA Grapevine, from Melbourne, Australia, article is called, In the Woods. Let's pray. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I would like to thank D.C. for writing Out of the Woods in the April 2005 Grapevine. I have subscribed to the Grapevine for many years and have always enjoyed the articles, but this one touched where I am in my sobriety. I am a stay-at-home mother of three children under five, and I am 14 years sober. I found it difficult and challenging juggling AA with my family commitments until I had our first child. I was very active in AA. I attended lots of meetings, was active in my home group, and sponsored lots of women. Now I get by on one, maybe two meetings a week, and I sponsor two women who are giving me more than I could ever give them. I really miss going to lots of meetings when I need and want to, or even having an uninterrupted AA telephone conversation. Fortunately, I have wonderful examples of sober mothers whose children are into their teenage years and beyond, so I have hope that when my time with my beautiful children passes, I will get to be of service in AA again. As my sponsor once said to me, when I mentioned that I wasn't sponsoring any more women, you're sponsoring three young children, right? And that is your work. Still, I look forward to the day when I am out of the woods, Gina B. Our next story is called from Ev- Evansville, Indiana, Some Kind of Caring. The May 2005 article, The Courage of Friends, gave this old ex-agnostic a chuckle. John Q.'s denial of a higher power involvement in his life jived with my own at the beginning of my sobriety. However, when I got out of the business of deciding what was and what wasn't an intervention from a higher power and let others point it out to me, it became obvious there was something special going on. One of my best lessons involved God with a skin on. That was repeated for often at meetings, simply God, as I understand him, works through human beings to manifest his power here on earth. I can't recall ever hearing nothing bad can happen to you once you're sober. But I do hear you'll never have to be alone all the time. Finally, when I read that God is not some loving power or guiding force in my life, I was reminded that I was often guilty of that old adage of not being able to see the forest for the trees. I call all that so-called little things happening around me coincidence or luck, and that kept me from seeing the big picture. Fortunately, my higher power made sure I wasn't alone by being there in the form of the many people he put in my life through AA. Carl B. Amen. You never have to be alone. God is not some loving power or guiding force in my life. Huh. That that one I didn't get. God is not some loving power or guiding force in my life. Huh. 
Well, it is on my. God is a loving power that I love to be on that zone. And he is a guiding force in my life. He talks to me. The other day at the end of a meeting, I, Fernando, alcoholic, I sat by there and I heard God tell me something in the form that we can do this, run big meetings, help run meetings, because God is with me and I have prayer. And I have the power of prayer. Amen. Our next story is A New Perspective by Margie G. from Greenville, Tennessee. When I first glanced at the cover of the May 2005 grapevine, I assumed I would not be able to relate to any of the articles in the special section. I have never been in the military, nor has anyone close to me. My assumptions were wrong. Reading the articles gave me a new perspective. Many writers really had to go to any leg to stay sober. Thank you for sharing. And now I'm going to read you the editor's note, which I believe are put in here with lots of thought and work. It says, like the author of What's the Big Deal, the lead article of this month's special section Many AAs have mixed feelings about celebrating the anniversaries of their sobriety. On the one hand, we realize that, as he, as he puts it, all the days behind us don't matter. Today is all that counts. On the other hand, one or more days sober are all huge victories for alcoholics. So a bunch of them is worthy of acknowledgement. Especially because we know that alcoholism is never completely vanquished. It always lurks in the shadows. So when we celebrate anniversaries, we are not celebrating a personal or permanent accomplishment. We are celebrating the miracle that we are alive and we are like, and we are all like to do it in our own way. Some like the author of Armchair Anniversary, Advocate Quiet Celebrations. Other likes birthdays in the sisterhood, whoop it up with the hats, horns, and sumption cakes. We hope after reading this issue, you will share what you do on the Grapevine's online forum. I say at aagrapevine.org. It's also our pleasure to present in this issue an interview with the new chair of AA's General Service Board, the former head of the Alberta Alcohol and Drug Abuse Commission. Leonard talks about his 30 years of sobriety and AA experience the power of the program, and his hopes for his future. That is not a new chair's first appearance in the magazine. However, his article, It Works, appeared in May 1990 issue, which you can read online. And while you're there, try the new audio grapevine where you can download and listen to recording stories. The In Fellowship, the editor. Now, I'm reading to you from 2005. This article is, what, 18 years old? Yep. This grapevine is 18 years old, so here we go. Step 8. That's the first article. The years that the locust has eaten. Step 8. Made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. This is a reprint from the 1997 grapevine. Neither our literature nor the most enlightened of old-timers can fully explain or define the meaning of forgiveness. The powerful concept 
at the heart of the eighth step. Like everything else in our spiritual program, Akahadnamas forgiveness has entered my life through my heart and and not through my mind. In my first year of sobriety, I listened what a kind of puzzled yearning at meetings where it was being discussed. To this day, I find eight-step meetings particularly poignant. The men and women in my regular Friday night step meeting are so simple and direct when they speak of how they hurt others and how in small in almost all cases, relationships have healed. There's no room for posturing as we speak up about our recklessness, self-centeredness, dishonesty, lost or soured marriages and families, and violence of various kinds. More than a mere chronicle of bottles and blackouts, these stories are twisted and tangled relationship with other people bringing Bring home the lonely tragedy of alcoholism and the miracle of our all sitting peacefully there on folding chairs with the tall step shades on the wall above our heads. Sometimes as I sit listening to the tales told in the language of the heart, I remember a quotation from the book of Joel. And I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten. Individual pain and guilt has been alchemized into something very grand that makes us collectively well. As a group, we are at our most human in those eight-step evenings. And we seem to be held most closely by our higher power. My own drinking days were all mixed in with my marriage to a man who, when I met him, was only recently married to another of his several wives. I was young, scared, and thirsty, I can see now that I never would have fallen for him if I hadn't been an alcoholic and if I hadn't liked the way he fixed my glass of scotch. The wife before me was a very nice person who worked in the same office as I did. As I got involved with her husband, I didn't stop to think about the pain I was causing her. I ducked into a doorway. If I saw her coming down the hall, I had the worm of conscience. I'm sure of it, but I stilled it with another drink. After he had and I had lived and drank together for some years, he left me in turn for someone else. In a karmic way, I felt just how the wife before me had suffered because now I suffered the same myself. She was an alcoholic in the years of my own marriage. She had absorbed the blow and moved on with her life. But for years and years after I was alone again, I got sucked in whiskey-soaked self-pity tormented by an obsession Hatred of that man that almost killed me. It made me hit my bottom, and I am eternally grateful for, to him for that. I can see this story now, but for the first few years of my sobriety, I was in awful fog. I got smart feet, though. <clears throat> I was going to meetings, getting active, sponsoring, and getting sponsors. Doing the right things, I have been brought up in England in a rather ladylike way without the scotch aside me. Without the scotch inside me, at first I couldn't tell whether I was angry or not. I would study that yellow booklet called Living Sober, which had many interesting pointers in it, including shapes and colors that anger might possibly come in, cynicism, rigidity, snobbishness, and sarcasm were on a list that helped me to see the rage didn't necessarily 
means shouting obscenities or knocking people down. I realized that I was mad at the poor little mother and at my sister as well. Honestly, I quite can't remember what that was all about. And today, I think that I'm very lucky to have these ladies in my life. I did a fourth and a fifth step, and I still kept on getting upset. My skin was very thin, and I was tormented by the bondage of self. I got mad at people in AA all the time. They rearranged my cookies. They would wound me to the quick by going off after the meeting, arm in arm with some other friend. In the rooms, it seemed there was always someone glaring at me, or I would be glaring at them. I'm happy to report that, that this is also not a problem today at all. The idea that for us alcoholics, there can be no such thing as justifiable resentment. And a concept that has come home to me as slowly as through as much painful experience as the concept of forgiveness is twin. Where other people are concerned, we have to drop the word blame from our speech and thought. It says in the 12 and 12, I was still at sea and ill at ease in my relationship with other people when an old timer hearing me shake asked me whether I had gotten around to making my eight step list, glad that there was an action that might relieve me of my discomfort. I dug out my index card of cringes, people whom, for a variety of reasons, I would feel embarrassed to see again. Then I transferred some of the still smoldering resentments from my fourth step. After the time that I had taken that inventory, I had run into my ex-husband on the street after many years without a glimpse. Something told me to give him a hug, and I'm glad I did because he died not long after that. I put the name of the ex-wife on my list also, but it took several years for me to become willing to make amends to her. We had gone on working in the same office without speaking to each other. I was walking down the hall one day carrying my briefcase, which contained my A-state list. By now, I rumbled and increased pieces of paper I had often unfolded to cross off names of people I had made amends to in various ways. I had been asked to lead a meeting on the topic later that day, and I wanted to take the list along. I noticed that the door of the woman's office was open. I stepped over the threshold as if pushed from behind by an invisible hand. I told her I was sorry for the pain I had caused her. She was gentle and more than generous with me. We talked at length about the man who had betrayed each of us and whose life was not improved by the way. I hated him and drank at him for years. I understood things about my life with him that I could only have understood from talking to her. I felt profound compassion for his demon-haunted life. I went off to lead my meeting, and I spoke about that encounter. One of my women friends was sitting nearby. She was nearing the end of a pregnancy, and her belly was enormous. Soon she and I and her husband would be blessed with the arrival of a baby boy. Sitting next to her was another friend a man who had gotten very thin. I was shocked to see him, for I could see that he had started to die of AIDS. In a month or so, we would be taking meetings to his hospital bed. I felt privileged to be at the meeting, to be alive, to be a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous. At the end, I held the hand of those two friends as the group stood 
saying the serenity prayer. In my bones, I felt the promise of the steps, that it is the beginning of the end of isolation from our fellows and from God. As for the ex-wife, I am happy to count her among my friends today. The other night, we came. she came over to my house. I cooked a nice dinner for a group of us, and we laughed and laughed a lot. KF from New York, New York. Amen. And that was an incredible story. I really enjoyed the story of, in the beginning where it talked about how everybody was pungent about the tragedy and the twisted, tangled relationships and the self-centeredness, dishonesty, and recklessness on the Friday night meeting, the mere chronicle of bottles, blackouts. I mean, that's why I am in AA, so I can be honest and tell my story and get it out of me. I have the courage to be in an AA meeting. Okay, next is Dairy of an Alcoholic. Surrender was her tickle to peace. Her ticket. <laughs> tickle. I began drinking in my 20s, and in my 20s, it was fun. In my 30s, my blackout started, and by my 40s, it was terrible. I never once thought I was an alcoholic. In Pasadena, California, I was picked up many times for walking dangerously. I had the same judge every time except the last one, and he asked me if I had been locked up before this. Since I knew nothing of a rap sheet, I said, maybe once or twice. He said, wrong. I think you have a drinking problem. I wanted to tell him that if my lover would be, wouldn't beat me up and my kids would behave and my job were less stressful, but as I said these things, I knew he just didn't understand, and he scared me when he hit the gavel. My lover Johnny and I went to meetings before we went. We had a couple of shots of vodka, which we knew wouldn't, they couldn't smell. Johnny would tell me it was a show that AAs put on to scare people out of drinking. I thought they were going to teach me how to drink. Anyway, Ohio wanted my lover more than I did at that time, so they came out and got him. One morning, I was so hungover, I would have had to get better to die. My son Daniel said, Mom, why don't you go back to those meetings? They might help you. I said, if I get drunk again, I will. Well, needless to say, I got drunk and went back to those meetings. I stayed for seven months. On February 1984, I thought, oh, sure, here comes Valentine's Day. Johnny's in jail, I hate my job, and I got a jerk for a boss. I had met this lady who told me to get phone numbers from the ladies and if I felt like drinking, to call them. Well, I called and no one was home, and it never dawned on me that they were at an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. I did the short serenity prayer, forget it. Turned into a gay bar for men because I knew I'd be safe. And after ordering two beers, I went into a 13 and a half hour blackout. After I came to, I got my son off to, to college and took my daughter to her bus stop. As I was climbing the stairs to my apartment, I had a terrible, nasty feeling all over my body. And I thought, what's this feeling? Like a microphone in the back of my head, it said, Pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization. I opened my door and went in, closed the door, and dropped to my knees. Now I knew there was a God, but I thought he was mad at me because anything I asked for didn't happen. So I said, God, 
I know you're there, and I don't know what I did to make you mad at me. However, whatever it was, I'm so very, very sorry, but I need help because I don't want to feel this way again. Will you please help me to get sober? I can't stand this anymore. Tears were streaming down my eyes, and after a few seconds, I felt something lifted off my shoulders. I today know that what was lifted from me, it was the desire to drink. I called a woman named Aura, and I asked if she'd be my sponsor. When I was done drinking, I didn't know what a sponsor was, and for a while, I waited for her to give me some money. Instead, she asked, how badly do you want to get sober? I said, if you told me to go to Lake in Colorado, take off my clothes and stand on my hands and whistle, Dixie, I'll do it. She told me she'd meet me at the 202 Club before the meeting, and I finally surrendered and began my life as a sober woman of Alcox Anonymous. And... And two and a half years of sobriety, my son Daniel, who got sober six months after me, told me he had AIDS. I knew he drunk some and smoked marijuana some, but I never knew he shot up until 13 days before he died. My sponsor was the first to be at my house, and all of the 202 was there to help me walk through it. My lover Johnny came back from prison and got sober for 33 months. Then he went in and out many times but couldn't stay sober. I buried him in January 2000, a direct result of alcoholism. My sister Betty died at age 45 as a direct result of drug addiction. And my brother blew his head off at age 31 as a direct result of alcohol and drugs. So yes, it is a family disease. I have two sisters who won't have anything to do with me as they're afraid of what I got, sobriety. But I love them and pray for them all the time. I have a beautiful granddaughter, Jan, who loves her honey, that's me, and had never seen her honey drunk. I only know that whatever comes down the tube, I don't have to drink. I know God loves me. He hasn't brought me this far to drop me. I must practice acceptance in every area of my life. I don't have to like things that happen but I do have to accept what happens and practice the principles in all my affairs. I don't have the man, the house, the money, or any other material things I think I want, but I am serene most of the time, and no one can take that away from me. Ada, Ada is from Las Vegas, Nevada. Amen. The next story is called Every Boy His Own Barrel. A dry drunk discovers an easier way of life. It's good for a sore throat, said my mother as she poured whiskey and honey in, into a spoon for me to consume. My dad would finish the rest of the bottle. Every boy needs his own barrel, exclaimed my grandfather as he made a special barrel of elderberry wine for me. There was my first experience with alcohol. Later, I sometimes see both parents on the kitchen floor. When I was 10, my father hit me while I was trying to stop a drunken brawl. I got the rifle out of the closet and pulled the hammer back, and I said, if you ever hit me again, I'll blow your head off. That's how I describe a happy family 
no hitting. Not me. I'll never be like my father, I vow. Well, in high school, I started drinking excessively. I was well on my way to all alcoholism when I saw the light. In a religious experience, the devout group I joined explained that I needed to stop drinking and smoking in order to live in line with my new commitments. I did indeed stop for the next 20 years. We read on page 58 and 59 in Alcoholics Anonymous that alcohol is cunning, baffling, and powerful. It is also very patient. Graduating from college with a degree in philosophy, I went on to a theological seminary where I studied pastoral care. In, in one class, the professor said, when counseling alcoholics, we should help them find AA because that worked better than countless hours of pastoral counseling. A homework assignment was to read 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. Not only did I read this resource, I even preached a sermon on the 12 Steps. Little did I imagine that these principles would someday apply to my life. As a young minister, I remember Henry coming to my door on one Christmas and saying, Pastor, I need help. I can't stop drinking. I took Henry hurried along to an open AA meeting and later conducted his funeral. Not everybody who needs AA is willing to work for sobriety. As a pastor, I preached my father's funeral and noted that cirrhosis was correctly spelled on his death certificate. From the pastorate, I went to work in a denominational headquarters where I encountered a formidable medical problem. My response was to take prescribed medication and then to self-medicate with alcohol, leaving denominational life and joining a consulting firm. I continued to rely on scotch to soothe the troubled spirit. Within three years, I was experiencing blackouts and consuming a fifth a day. I had not lost a job, health, family, driver's license, or value possessions. I had a week or so to go before that would have happened. Remembering what I had learned in the seminary classroom, I picked up the phone and called AA. At my first meeting, I won a big book and began my journey of recovery. Sobriety was interrupted after six months of trying to work my program without a sponsor, without a phone numbers, and on one meeting a week. After teaching a course on decision-making for executives, I got on a plane in Oklahoma City and made a go-no-go decision to drink those two bottles of scotch on my tray table. I wrote, even though I am an alcoholic, I can and will control my drinking. I didn't remember how I got home from the airport that night, nor did I remember how I lost my copy of 12 Steps and 12 Traditions after drinking in a Pittsburgh airline club the same week. Sitting on a Florida dock, I stared at the water and reflected on the result of my best thinking and my vigorous efforts to control my drinking. It was as if I could literally push the fast-forward button on my life and see the end of the tape. This wasn't a happy movie. I really didn't want to experience that ending. I reasoned that my options were to die drinking, be institutionalized, be in prison, or get sober working the AA program as recommended and intended. The next day, I went to a meeting, picked up my second and last white chip, and got a sponsor. 
This act of humility proved to be what it took to, to move from hitting a bottom to finding a new life in Alcoholics Anonymous. Our future business flights, I would place the grapevine and daily reflections on the trade table and try to decide which to read first. While working in Miami, I went to an AA meeting and heard a woman read the promises on page 83 and 84 in Alcoholics Anonymous. This is what I want, I remember saying. I'm happy to say that these promises have more than come true for me in the last 16 years of sobriety. It was a joy to call the seminary professor on my anniversary and tell him that his class on counseling the alcoholic saved my life. Kenton H. from St. Petersburg, Florida. Thank you, Kenton.